the incentive to innovate in the traditional system isn't there. You have a math department, it does okay, doesn't do okay, standardized tests, people lament, you get graded at different levels in, in the state, but you're kind of trying to do something that we think you're not actually capable of doing as a school leader because the expectations have increased so much in the last 10, 15 years on what a school is. And I think that's good. I just think we need to recognize that a school leader is fighting a battle that cannot be won unless we think about this outsourcing and we get other vendors to, to crop up and do, you know, languages as a service or sports as a service. What an interesting opportunity. Special ed as a service where their only model and product is an exceptional math program, for example. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Hey there, Googleization Nation, and welcome to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization. And it's obviously December because Jason's decorated in, in holiday spirit already. I'm ready, my friend. Amazing. How did heck did we get here, Jason? Uh, it's December 2021. I mean, I'm, I'm lost. I'm, I'm in, as, as I said for a while, we were all living in Blur's Day from a day but i have no idea how we got to december so quickly yeah i someone last week said we're coming on two years of living through the pandemic and that just hit me right between the eyes like i can't believe that we've gone two years so far and obviously with the new variants we're learning more and we're not out of the thick of it yet but it certainly has been a big blurs day as you like to call it yeah it's it's amazing you know and i'm sure this may have happened at your table i know it sounds like it's happening around a lot of holiday tables conversations discussions completely lost perspective of time when things happened it's like no that was last year no that was two years ago no that was three years ago. i mean in referencing when was the last time we get together when did a certain event happen just in addition to you know living under this umbrella or in this bubble I guess, as you will. And when we seem to just have, you know, I don't, maybe it's age <laughs> that we're just forgetting when, when things happened where they're just running together, but, uh, you know, yeah, we, my wife we're literally going her. through our, you know, we're pulling out our smartphones and, and scrolling through pictures to see what year, if there was a picture documenting that event to, to, to confirm, was it 2020, was it 2019 or 2018? It's pretty amazing. But it, as you are ready for the holiday in my college. I'm in my education gear. Today, we're going to be talking about the future of education. Uh, what a fascinating subject. I've repeated, I've said this many times, and and but I'm currently teaching my, my class on organizational change management at Muhlenberg. That's the M. My high school was Mount Carmel. So for, for those of you, anybody, any classmates from my high school from Mount Carmel, you might recognize it was the same colors too, red and white. But we kind of dressed up in those gears, but one of the topics we've talked about was certainly the future of work, talking about organizational change, how everyone is going to adapt. One of those industries happens to be education, but our guest today, which thank, thankfully to you, you've introduced me to, to Kevin Burkopes. Amazing. I mean, kind of a, an approach that we haven't even talked about, that I hadn't even considered in the scheme of how do we 
disrupt? How do we transform? How, how do we get people prepared? How do we fill all these skill gaps? And Kevin's got a solution. You know, he took a very innovative, disruptive approach to it. And it makes so much sense. And yet, wasn't even on the table. Absolutely. And, and I'm excited, too, because I cut my teeth in education. And so I hold educators and, and disruptors like Kevin in the highest regard because I have four sons. And only the oldest one, who's seven years old, is currently in school. And my wife and I were chatting just this week. He hasn't had a normal year of school, quote unquote, so far. Kindergarten and first grade was with the pandemic. And this year, still the pandemic, wearing masks. And so this idea of how do we improve education is really near and dear to my heart. And I'm sure a lot of other people, listeners who will be listening today, too. And if it's not near, near and dear to your heart, it should be. I mean, if you're a parent, you should be wor- you should be concerned and worried about it and, and looking for what opportunities are there. But if you're an employer, you should be even more concerned. I mean, this, this, this labor shortage is not going away anytime soon. The numbers just aren't there unless we open up, unless this pandemic or endemic just completely vanishes. We're going to have no more disruption, no more outbreaks, no more variants. And that's almost zero chance of that happening. We're going to have to, uh, you know, we're going to have more deficits, more gaps, more disruptions, more distractions in there. And we're already struggling in, you know, how do we get all, how do we get people upskilled, reskilled and educated to be able to fill those gaps, you know, and we'll, we'll kind of bring on Kevin at this point, but, you know, my friend, uh, Dr. Ed Gordon just released, did a huge white paper and, and studied it. And what he came up with was that we're going to be, by 2030, we're going to be 32 million workers short on a skill gap. And and even with reskilling, upskilling, and ed- that's with aggressive reskilling, upskilling, and education. Wow. We're, just, we're so far behind the eight ball. Though some of that may be taken care of with automation, but that only raises the bar. Because we need people to, to, to service, maintain, install, upgrade, all that automation. So I think at this point, it's probably a really, really good time to bring on Kevin, and we're going to learn about Crossroads technology, and more importantly, what what he's doing, what some of the strategies, what some of the solutions are that he's ready to offer. So if we can get Kevin, there he is. There he is. Hey, Kevin. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. What a, what a pleasure. Uh, again, the intro, and we talked a little about this before the show, your company is Crossroads Technologies? Yeah, Crossroads Technologies. Yeah. Why don't you give a little bit of background of, of, you know, what you do, how you got there, why you started it. Obviously, I don't know if you, if this was a lifelong ambition when you went to college and said, hey, I'm going to grow up and, and be a CEO of this education company. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit of background is came from two poles of poverty. So my experience in education was oriented from that immigrant family and, you know, low resourced agricultural family. Those two poles sort of geared my thoughts of what education was, my experiences through higher ed, bachelor's, master's, PhD. Each level, unfortunately, was a bit of a letdown of the promise of what it was supposed to be. I think entrepreneurs start companies based on two things. They want to fix something they hate, or they want to scale something that they felt they had a privilege to have. I didn't like the way the system was designed. I didn't think it was worth the investment that everyone told me it was supposed to be worth. And not not because I wasn't respective of the, the privilege of studying at Purdue University and University of Texas and, and other places. It was 
what seemed like a kind of misrepresentation of how people learn and how you use concepts and, and understandings to be able to get to a place where you can actually be productive for a company or for someone else. As I was doing some some application-based research, so my PhDs in mathematics, I've spent a ton of time doing you know, machine learning, big data, software. But what I came to was when I got into these sort of application-based experiences, most of my education wasn't useful. The things that I learned while I was working on actual problems and projects, totally useful, right? You talk to other people, you solve and critically think through problems that are novel or interesting or, or you know, part of driving value for a client. And at the education space, it was much more about just kind of regurgitating conceptual understandings or not even that, really just rote memorization of, of hundreds and hundreds of year old concepts in mathematics that didn't seem to build any sort of baseline for what we could do. So got out and started teaching. I was on a pathway to do big data type stuff for some companies was backpacking in North Carolina, as fortune would have it, saw a school, applied, moved there two weeks later. Did that about five times across the country as K through 12 educator and went to the places that I was most interested in geographically, but also the ones that I felt like needed, you know, as you would see in the news, right? South side of Chicago, New Jersey, Texas, these other places that have lots of poverty and lots of issues that I wanted to understand, helped me understand my own journey through that but also the privilege I carry by being who I am. And from there, uh, you know, got, got my first academic job in Indianapolis and was able to actually incubate some of the models that we had created. Things like when I was in schools, half the teaching staff had left by October. That's a problem. I didn't think that professional development was going to solve that in these sort of other things. And, and so the development of the company went from what are the assets, tools, capabilities that technology could produce, and how do we balance that with the most important thing in education, which is peer connections. And from, from what we've done early on with peer, peer-to-peer engagement, peers are the best teachers in terms of interactions and, and personal skills. They have shared language experience, things that we can't recreate. But you do need a learned adult in the room and for certain things. And then you also have to recognize that People know things without you telling them. They know things without lecturing. Lecture actually doesn't work at all. But we have transitioned through this pathway of understanding sort of the history of what's been tried in education and then what's being done now. But also something that's probably the most important is the tools that are available today because of technologies and continuous advancement are so far ahead of what we're using in the classroom. Not because we don't value technology. We all use it. But we don't know how to use it in the education space. And we, we actually don't train teachers to think of their work in the classroom as much more than a, a dialogue with kids to impart knowledge out of your head. That's ridiculous. Like that, Maybe we needed that 200 years ago, but with the access to, to the Internet and, and everything else, there's way better tools out there than what you potentially have in your head right now. Yeah, it's that's so interesting because, again, even in a master's level program, the, and again, some of them are just recent grads, but half the classes is, is in the workforce. The other half is, is are just recent grads continuing their education. And my final project, which is, you know, I weighted it pretty heavy, and it really was to see how they can apply what they learned. It was like, pick a theme, something you want to change. I don't care if it's society, the world, climate change, or something in your business. 
could be recruitment, retention, whatever it is, something that you want to change. And I just want you to apply. And, and even grasping that concept, they're really struggling because so used to sort of, here's the exam or here's the project. And I just want you to regurgitate what you learned. And it's like, no, I don't, you know, there is no right or wrong answer for this project is I want to see how you applied it. And even if you apply it and the only thing that comes out of that is you asking more questions, that's good. And again, just really struggling with that because through 22 years of school or, or, you know, 16 years of school for most of these people, never been approached that way. No, and the indoctrinization, it's not the, the individual's fault. They went through a system that indoctrinated them to be this way, right? We have to sit, we have to behave in certain sort of ways, and then we have to listen and regurgitate. If we play that game well, people leave us alone, not necessarily valuing the idea of, of what learning is or the, the, the critical problem-solving skill set of, I have a problem, here's the resources available to me, how do I sort through those resources? and not count on just a person in the room with me telling me what to do. We, we basically indoctrinate students and, and people in society to be what we all lament about, which is, you know, handouts, right? Like give me information. And if you don't, it's your fault that I'm not learning. Gosh, that, that pervasive all throughout society. We lament about it, but we created a system that we highly fund. It's a trillion dollar industry. K through 12 education per year on expense. We fund the heck out of it to do the things that we then later on get annoyed by when we try to hire people. So, so what, what is XR technologies doing differently? What, which, what, are, what are some of the things that you're doing? Well, we, we came down to some fundamental things. We talked to hundreds of school leaders over the last you know five to 10 years. And really what they started to share with us was what is the mission of the school? What is the vision of the school? So think of it as innovative schools, charters, publics, privates. We talk to everyone. We talk to the school district leaders that are, you know, 60,000 students, 150,000 students. We talk to ones that had 500 in a, you know, a new startup charter school. And a lot of them were sharing the vision for how students will be molded into productive citizens for society. However, you would define that. A lot of it was intelligent growth, a lot of the mindset things that, that I spend a lot of time on. And one point I kind of leaned into one of them and said, and this was pre-pandemic, because we, at that point we were doing a lot of peer tutoring centers, right? Auxiliary classroom experiences for, for students. And I leaned in and asked them, I was like, is, is a really great math department something that you really want to be in charge of for your school? And if I, I actually thought they were gonna say, Absolutely. Like that is a core thing. Most of them were like, nah, we, we don't even know what good math people look like, but we're forced to hire at least three out of the seven every year. Um, we hope that there's some sort of a, you know, balance between good with kids and good with math. We always make concessions one way or the other. And then each year we always lose a few. And then we have to recreate a team every single year. And we have to, by the way, do that for these other content domains, too. And I, I said at that time, it was like, well, that's interesting. What if you, you know, what if you just handed that off to me and my team? And a lot of them were like, what? You know, the, the idea of outsourcing what they said was the responsibility and job of a school. And I said, well, you told me that, that your vision for why you got into this work didn't involve this. 
And so we, we kept going and then COVID hit and one of the school leaders called me and said, my entire math department quit. And I said, okay, well, and actually they called me to recruit because I guess math people know math people. We just hang out with each other, right? And, and you know, I, I always try to help anytime there's a phone call, but instead of saying, hey, let me, let me think about all the students that I worked with over my academic career and see if any of them are interested, or let me think about that thousand, thousand plus people in my network of teachers. And, you know, I didn't say that. I said, how about this? How about you hand us your math department, 250 students, we'll run it. We'll go find the people. We'll run it in a blended learning high-tech math program and we'll get started as, as soon as possible. And to this, the credit of our first school leaders, part, you know, sort of vision and partnership, they said, okay. So we went from 250 students to more than 2000 this year in one year. So we, we went from one school to, to 15 schools where we run part or all of their math department. And I think it's the demand is there, but also the actual recognition something I, I think you said earlier, people didn't know this was possible. Uh, we we had a vision of this a long time ago, and I think I shared with a lot of entrepreneurs, like, what if we had the ability to outsource an education where a company, a vendor, could only lament and focus on being the best math department possible, or the best science department, or the best ELA department, or the best languages department? That was all we would have to focus on. If you think about the rapid innovation that would come from that incentive, which is I have to be good at this thing, and not only that, if I'm not the best, the school's going to fire me because they love to go back to status quo type things, right? So incentivization to innovate is all around this idea of department as a service. The fiscal agent for public funding is still the school. I want it to stay there. I want the money from the state to come into a school that is a nonprofit, has a school board, superintendent, whatever, but they choose to outsource their core academic services to vendors which we are creating several more other than math right now because of the visibility that we've gotten, where that public funding can then go to a contract of which high expectations can be built into the contract with metrics for success, the same way that you would do with your any vendor that you've outsourced or any product that you use to even create this program. The incentive to innovate in the traditional system isn't there. You have a math department, it does okay, doesn't do okay, standardized tests, people lament, you get graded at different levels in, in the state, but you're kind of trying to do something that we think you're not actually capable of doing as a school leader because the expectations have increased so much in the last 10, 15 years on what a school is. And I think that's good. I just think we need to recognize that a school leader is fighting a battle that cannot be won unless we think about this outsourcing and we get other vendors to to crop up and do, you know, languages as a service or sports as a service. What an interesting opportunity. Special ed as a service where their only model and product is an exceptional math program, for example. That is brilliant, Kevin. And I know a lot of our listeners today are business executives and business leaders. And, you know, so, you know, the question in their mind might be, well, what role does the private sector have in, in helping with schools and Ira led the show with talking about the labor shortages here and it's going to continue and we've got to upskill and reskill. So they need to play a part. How do they get involved? How have you gone about establishing those relationships with the school leaders to do these innovative programs like a math department as a service? What, what can business leaders do to go that direction? 
Well, I think there's a couple of things. So the Department as a Service acts as, as two bridges that have basically been non-existent in the past. One is that a company that's run by people that understand how industry works, because the incentives for a, a vendor like us is, is an in, industry incentive. That means there's a connected connective tissue between industry and school immediately. The second thing is that pragmatically out there, there is a ton of really good data and research on education. None of it makes into the traditional classroom. Maybe the expertise was built into the textbook. Maybe it's been built into curriculum. Maybe it's been built into software that is used maybe 15, 20% fidelity. That expertise being built into things, we've exhausted that. We've also exhausted the idea that that expertise can be trained through professional development for teachers. They do get professionally developed, then they leave. That's 20 years of research. So what we're trying to do is actually take and embed the expertise in a process that we wrap around people. If, if you think about other industries that do business process outsourcing, you try to take a workforce that is available that isn't non-existent, which math teachers, for example, right now are unicorns that are laying eggs, like they're not out there. And if, if that's true, then everybody's out looking for the, the unicorns laying eggs. What they should be looking for is, what's the type of person that can actually deploy a, a successful process like a classroom that's built around the idea of, of blended learning, classroom that's not built around the idea of talking at kids. Um, so the, all of the expertise that's out there in research, which I think is valuable, but doesn't make it into the classroom. Now we can build all of that expertise into the process for how a person that is findable, somebody that has the disposition to work with kids is willing to learn a process, which we all have to train in industry, no matter what people say, you, you can't have somebody come straight out of college into your company and drive value immediately. We all have to show them, update them, work with them on our process. So finding talented individuals that are those dispositions and, and they're findable. I mean, we hired 35 teachers in 60 days. I don't know a single school district out there that was able to do that. We also hire people that look like the kids that are in our schools. So we look in Gary, for example, which has predominantly an African-American population left after the, the massive decline from the 80s of that population. We hire African-American men and women from that community to work in the school. We don't outsource, you know, and, and, and look for people outside of the community that are willing to commute in. We want to keep public dollars in the community because these schools are likely one of the highest revenue companies in that low resource area, right? They're making six, seven, eight million a year. Let's keep that financial wherewithal and capability within that community. So those are the sorts of the things that I think the connectivity is, is interesting. We also get to interface with, you know, the, the greater industry partners, because when we talk to them, they're like, you guys don't talk like, like education people. We're like, cool. We're not. We want to do things very, very differently. We actually want to learn from you, Cook Medical or somebody else, right? Cummins and these other industry partners. How do you, how do you, how have you scaled process? You know, learning from Toyota, learning from Lean Canvas, learning from agile development from our software development companies. Like we, we want to embed that expertise into the process that becomes a vendor that serves schools. 
And, you know, so much of what we talk, Kevin, on this show, this will dovetail perfectly into that, is we talk about employee experience and, you know, the things that make it difficult in terms of turnover challenges of losing staff. And certainly, you know, Ira's been talking about the perfect labor storm for over 20 years. Same thing in education. You and many other leaders have been screaming from the, the mountaintops, we've got a teacher shortage problem. And it just got even worse with the pandemic. The pandemic didn't create it. When you think about the teacher experience, what fundamentally are the things that need to change for us to attract and keep teachers in schools? Yeah, so that's a really important thing. You're going to hear a lot of rhetoric and, and policy out there trying to get teachers more pay. I will never fight that. Like, I love the idea of giving people more, you know, financial stability based on the, the value that they drive for a company or for school or an entity. But the number one complaint is not teacher pay. If you go through 25 years of research, six, 10, 20,000 teacher surveys, the, the lists of things of why I left, number five on the list is pay, right? So pay is going to be up there because everybody wants to lament about that. I don't make enough. I don't want to, you know, I want to buy this. I want to do this. I have no problem with that, but it is number five on the list. The other parts are you're asking me to do a 60 hour work week and paying me for 40. Okay. Well, that's, that's a infrastructure for what the job of teaching is the behavior of children. Look, kids, humans, tiny humans, they are always going to be a pain in the butt at some point. So there are various degrees of not yet. How do we manage them effectively where we don't rely on the classroom teacher to be the only one that holds together a box enclosed cell with 35 teenagers in it. Gosh, what a, what a terrible idea. But, you know, so classroom behavior of students is a thing. What you ask me to do every day, my professional respect, I want to be respected as a professional. These are the things that they talk about continuously. So when we're, we're thinking about, we're gonna bring somebody in, we're gonna call them an innovative educator. We actually call our teachers coaches because we're part of a team. When you're in a classroom, you are the front lines of an organization, but you're not alone. You always have your manager that's with you, that you have stand-ups every week. If your class on our data platform shows that it needs special attention, we send the Calvary. We, we send a boost of three or four adults into that classroom to help you, and we use the data to signal when we have to do that, when we should do that. You have a team on site that's part of your team that all runs the same process so you can ask each other. We don't ask you to close off a classroom, be on your own and sink or swim based on your own capabilities, which I think are the, the top four reasons that people get out of educating. They love kids. It's part of their heart to connect and serve community. Money is fifth there because those things are more important to people as far as how they choose career, a certain type of person. But taking care of them and then respecting them as, as professionals, that's the key. And no matter how much we pay them, if we don't take care of those other things, they're going to continue to lose more teachers. Look at the highest paid districts in Indiana. They have the highest teacher turnover rate. I don't know why people don't recognize that. Kevin, we're talking about some of the traditional subjects, math, you know, whether it's history, English, geography, whatever it might be. You're focused on the math right now. McKinsey just released a, a really incredible kind of study, and they looked at, they identified like 53, I believe it was, foundational skills that everybody's going to need 
And a lot of these skills are also what comes up in business. Business is saying we need people that can collaborate, good team player, good communication. What was interesting is that they correlated it with education. And number one, which was good for me, the number one skill universally that was that was going to be required and also had one of the lowest correlations with education was adaptability, how to be adaptive. But it looked at things like collaboration, dealing with uncertainty, just making sense. Didn't talk about critical thinking, but pro- basic problem solving. Sure. And, and across the bottom of this chart was like the lowest correlations was everything that business says. That's what we're looking for. Those are those are life skills, but they're also work skills. What are you seeing happening there or how are you addressing that? So I can speak of what we're specifically doing. We see the content as the way to connect to kids. So by law, we have to have a mathematics experience for students that's on grade level following a certain type of standard. How we do that can do exactly what you're describing. So we concentrate on self-advocacy, communication, and adaptability in, in regards to resource use. Those are the ways that we build our classrooms. We have a plan at the very beginning where we onboard students where We have a a very sophisticated data platform where we track what students do every single day in our process. But at the beginning, we're actually measuring if they're increasing in their ability to transition from passive learning to engaged learning. Passive is that you sit and play a game and listen and, you know, uh, regurgitate stuff on quizzes and tests. Engaged means that you realize that learning is on you. You have the goals and things in front of you. You have all the resources available to you but you have to transition your mindset that you can just kind of sit in class and hide, which they have been indoctrinated before. We think that the way that we're doing it is teaching all of the college and career readiness capabilities that you're describing completely. And so this this idea of engaged learning, which is done through uh, the use of, of AI adaptive curriculum and our other processes, including gig economy virtual tutors that plug into classrooms on demand, part of our workforce is that, we, we think about the idea of, okay, if we could teach all of the content, if we had an entire school that was outsourced and connected, we could get students what they want when they want it, but we teach the same core principles in each way that we connect to them, right? So the idea of these things and engaged learning is what we call it. One of the best ways to do that, honestly, is let kids teach each other because teaching is one of the best ways, in my opinion, to produce really high quality workforce people that are workforce ready for any other industry. They have to learn how to communicate, talk to others. They have to have empathy on on all of these things. So having them think of themselves as educators, as a process of being educated, we think is massive. I know we're coming up toward the end and you got a pretty hard stop here. You got to go pick up your kids, right? So one of the things is, and I just saw this come across yesterday. We talked about it in, in our class last night a bit, is the role Google's playing in education. And it sounds like you're moving in parallel you know, ways for that. Can, can you just comment on that just for a minute? And then we'll you know, kind of figure it, let people know how they can reach out to you and, and contact you. Yeah, sure. So Google as a search engine is a massive thing that people need to learn how to use to get access to information. We teach our students that, you know, you use the textbook, the hints, the videos that are embedded in the curriculum. The AI-driven hints and and those things, the next step is you kind of talk to your friends in the classroom about things. You talk to the adult in the room who then might redirect you to other skill sets. Then you search YouTube and Google 
in sophisticated ways, right? So the idea of resource use is if you actually don't know what the word means that you're reading, then you should star it, you should look it up, right? If somebody's trying to figure out what invoice means and they don't know because they just haven't been exposed to that language yet, Google it and then read that language and then put it back into the context of what you're trying to do. We, we see all of our schools have transitioned to Google Suite or uh, they use you know the Google's Chromebooks. They have this cloud-based service. What people don't know, which we've run into is, yes, technology, yes, the use of those things, the resources and everything else are really important. But guess what? This, the internet at schools is terrible. And we've actually had to bring our own Wi-Fi service into the classrooms to ensure that our high-tech classrooms don't go, go cold because the school's internet shuts down at least two times a week. So this, this idea of what Google can do for education, how they've built this suite of, of apps and technology, we just want to operationalize the use of that for the different content domains. And we want our companies to focus only on being the best math department, the best science, the best special ed as a service. And we think there's a real future for that. Kevin, we are just getting started here. There's like 15 other questions that I can ask, but I know you, you've got to run. So we're definitely going to have you back. You and I are you know, love to have a conversation in the next few weeks with you about some things, see how we might be able to collaborate. But in the meantime, how can our listeners uh, get in touch with you, learn a little bit more about what you're doing? Yeah, I think our website's a good place. Anywhere on social media, we, we post a lot, you know, me on LinkedIn, Twitter, among other things. Reach out to us for two reasons. One is that maybe you're an entrepreneur that's interested in, in incubating a department as a service. Maybe you're interested in your schools where your children go. How could we and our services be a part of what you see in your community? I think the final piece is if you've ever thought about getting into education as a career, we're an opportunity where you get stock options, great, great benefits, and you get to work on a team that's trying to change the world. That's not really a, a value proposition that you would hear for a middle school math teacher somewhere else. And we, we want people to recognize that we're going to be hiring another 100 teachers in the next six months. So we, we need a lot of talent. Well, my name's Ira Wolf, and I'll be getting my application in, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hire you. We'll, we'll have to put you through the interview process, though, to make sure you have the right disposition. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I know you've got an incredibly busy schedule. This is fascinating. I, I think, um, you know, I try to keep up on trends and, and new opportunities. And the idea of outsourcing education just wasn't popping up on the radar, even talking with some of the disruption experts. Uh, so I thank you very much. It's been very valuable. Hope you have a great holiday. I'll, we'll, I'll connect with you. I'll send you. We'll get, get ourselves on the calendar. And please be safe. Thanks, guys. I appreciate Thanks, the opportunity. Kevin. Happy holidays. Appreciate you. That was awesome, Jason. Thanks so much for uh, for bringing Kevin to the table here. Yeah, no, no question. We are going to take a short break. We want to thank everybody for being part of Googleization Nation, for listening to and watching Excuses in Googleization. Uh, we're going to be right back, and, and there's a couple of things that I want to run by you, Jason, especially relating to what Kevin talked about and get your opinion on it uh, as well, being a former educator. Stay tuned. We'll be right back in one minute. Change doesn't pick favorites. No matter who you are or where you live, the year 2020 was filled with one unexpected challenge after another. 
According to the authors of The Adaptation Advantage, we are incredibly well prepared for the past, but woefully unprepared for the future. That leaves millions of people feeling scared, worried, frustrated, and confused. Whether you're the owner of a business or a worker out of a job, adaptability is now an essential skill you need to ride the next wave of normal. The good news is, is that science shows that adaptability is learnable. Adaptability gives us the confidence and courage to think about change and embrace opportunity in the right way. Adaptability gives us hope for a better future. And goodness knows we need hope. Are you ready to embrace change and double down on your future? Contact Success Performance Solutions today to schedule a consultation about how you can reimagine your team's future, how you can begin to think about opportunity the right way. Hey, welcome back, Googleization Nation. Welcome back to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. Before we get jump into this, I just wanted to say for anybody who's just listening to this, the website for Kevin Burkopes is XR, the letter X, letter R, dash tech, T-E-C-H dot org. It's XR dash T-E-C-H dot org. I know we're displaying it on the screen, but if you're listening to the podcast on replay, you won't be able to, to read the screen. So want to make sure to reach out to Kevin because it's certainly fascinating there. Jason, we just started to get into things that were happening with Google. Last night on the show, I raised that simil- a similar question to D- Charlene Lee. I don't know if you know Charlene Lee. She's, she wrote The Disruption Mindset. She was described by Daniel Pink very well recognized as one of the finest business minds that we have today. And she wrote a book called The Disruption Mindset. She's been in, mostly in the tech industry, so this sort of this subject. But I asked her that question. I said, what are some of the disruptions that are happening in education? And related, And I, I used Google because Google just announced that they're setting up, well, they've offered courses, but that you'll be able to get certifications and credits through Google that will be, you know, the question was, well, who'll be accepting them? But if employers are really struggling in finding employees, if you came and said, listen, I have 50 credits from Google and they've verified that I've completed this course and this is how well I've done, will they be more valuable than having two years of college? And she said, which was very interesting, she said, well, you, there's some places that are already using YouTube, that by watching certain programs and then completing some type of an assessment, that they're getting credits just from YouTube. Wow. Then turns, well, that's free. You know, and now there may be a fee to get the certification or get the paperwork or the verification, but the disruptions in education are just unbelievable. But thinking about what Kevin was talking about, about outsourcing a department or, or I loved what he said is math is a service. Geography is a service. History is a service. Writing is a service. Uh, it's crazy, but it's so obvious. That's so why, right. Why and we're here and for a long time. I think, you know, having worked in schools, you know, we kept hearing, you know, this is an emerging problem. It's an emerging problem. Well, you just keep putting it on the back burner. Well, I mean, here we are, you know, just south of where you live down in Philly, they currently have 1,900, 1,900 yeah. teacher vacancies. Six that's just vacancies. That's not including the absences. That's right. Teachers. 
Yep. I mean, we're getting notifications here in Indianapolis every week of schools having to switch over to virtual because they not only don't have enough teachers coming into the classroom, they don't have subs. And there's only so many administrators to go around to cover those classrooms. And so, you know, this whole idea of, you know, nobody's, I shouldn't say nobody, very few people now are enrolling to become a teacher in the secondary institutions in college. It just isn't seen, you know, unfortunately by a lot of younger people as being a great job opportunity. And so if there are ways like Google, the work that Kevin is doing that can help that, the time is now. You've got to get it fixed. 65,000 public educators just quit from September to October. And that's just public school educators. So, you know, it's it's only getting worse. And one of the things that was fascinating to me was if we had to compare school years as to which one would have more teacher burnout and dropout, I would have predicted last school year, right? When everything was up in arms, there's no vac- vaccines. You're trying to figure things out, how to do Zoom classes. No, it's actually this current school year is having a higher burnout and retention issue rate, teacher turnover, than the previous year. So this is something where we've got to figure out how to improve the teacher experience. How are we getting people qualified to come into the classrooms and attract them that this is something that's meaningful and has purpose? We're going to treat you with respect. And we've also got to address the 21% wage gap difference between teachers and comparably educated individuals. I know that Kevin said that's number five on the list, and he's right, but it still wouldn't hurt if we paid him more than just a little bit above the the poverty line. We forget that, you know, we we talk about employers all the time. We we forget that the classroom is, is a workplace for teachers and educators and administrators. Uh, you know, it's certainly where the customers go. It's a workplace. And I'm not sure schools, you know, whether it's K through 12 or colleges or universities, colleges and universities maybe have considered it this way, but K through through 12, if I can say that, K through 12, I'm not sure they, you know, how they think about the classroom as a workplace. And so some of the same issues that you and I have talked about, you know, and, and everybody else seems these days is that going back to work, getting back to the office, getting back to normal is it was fine. I mean, everybody wanted to go back, but they wanted to go back the way it used to be. That we can all go back, we can congregate, we can hang around the water coolers, go to the snack room, go out to lunch, unmasked, unsocial distance. We can do all that. That doesn't exist. We we've got people that are masked, we got people that are that aren't vaccinated, we got people that are fearful. There's so much controversy, and especially in the schools, there's there's you know, school boards, you know, just the com- the conversation about about either of having a vaccine a vaccination mandate or a requirement for masking has resulted in threats. And so here you have a teacher last year, although it was disruptive, and I'm wondering how much of the burnout from this year, how much of that 65,000 who resigned in September and October from this year to last year had to do with last year, there was this light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to get through this. I love teaching. I'm going to get through this. And then they're put back in the classroom and you have all this controversy. And in, in addition to trying to teach and the disruptions you have, you've got you got parents angry that their kid has to wear a mask or that they have to get vaccinated. It's was it just one the straw that broke the camel's back or is it literally this year is that much 
that much more difficult that it was like, I'm, I'm not going back. And I'm not sure there's an answer. I'm not sure you and I have an answer for that, but it's certainly a consideration. But as a workplace, uh, the same thing's happening at work. Look how many people are resigning. Record numbers of people are resigning. And it's only because companies figured it was going to go back to the way it was. And it's unlikely to ever go back to the way it was. That's right. And, you know, Kevin talked about respect is a big thing for teachers, right? And because they often are bombarded from politicians saying, this is how you've got to teach. This is what you got to teach from parents, (laughs) from community, right? It's, It's a tough job being a teacher. The two things that can keep them going that we often see in the research, number one is the connecting with the students, right? When there's that connection with the students in the classroom, that means something that touches their soul, part of who they are, their purpose. Well, that's been disrupted because of the pandemic, like a lot of it's become virtual and virtual just isn't the same as in person. But the other piece has to do with how appreciated do they feel? And the latest research we've seen on that is that less than a third of teachers say that during the course of a school year, that they get any kind of specific recognition at all, whether it's from parents or from the administrators or from fellow teachers. And so certainly a big piece of this is how do we create and wrap around our teachers, a system of support that makes them feel valued, respected, and appreciated in ways that are meaningful to them, because we can't lose any more of them. We're already at at really tough levels of turnover, and we've also got to figure out how to restore it as a profession in terms of being attractive to the next stage of wonderful teachers that we can yeah. I mean, we're back to, I mean, so again, it goes back to the conversation. It's, it's a workplace and, and who, whoever the employers need to figure this out quickly is similar, very similar situation in healthcare. Um, that, yes. that the providers, even the first responders are, are, are being hassled and harassed, not, not applauded. There's a group that's applauding, but, but on an everyday basis, there's a group that really is, is harassing them. So we've got a lot of work to do, and that's why we will be here. We'll be here for quite a while. We've got a great lineup for, de- for December. We're actually going to take off over the holiday, but we lined up a really, <laughs> really good people uh, through the rest of the year, forecast what's going on in HR, economists, getting ready for 2022. So again, thank you, everybody, for being part of Googleization Nation. Thank you for listening to Geek Skeezes and Googleization. For those of you who listen live every Wednesday at 1 p.m., appreciate it. Or if those, if you're listening on, on a podcast afterwards, we, we welcome you to do that and please spread the word, but uh, we, we're going to continue this conversation. And this was, this was exciting. This was a little different than what we pursued, but a lot of, a lot of light bulbs going on there, Jason, that we might not have thought, thought of before. So for, again, for anyone who is, if you're not a member of Googleization Nation, please do so. It's free, googleizationnation.com. You'll get updates about the webinars and podcasts and some big announcements that are coming for 2022. We're, we're really excited. We'll be announcing those in, in the coming weeks. So until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans.